0: Hello and welcome back to Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Now that we've completed Shakespeare and Chekhov's canons, our troupe of professional and amateur theater lovers together is taking on great works across mediums. So from Aaron Sorkin to indie playwrights, Valentine's rom-coms, French classics, Greek tragedies, so much more. We've got everything coming up for you. So Shaw, Stoppard, Moliere, Ephron, and so much more coming down the pike. So for you to enjoy an audio form here on our podcast feed, Or if you want to catch all of our costumes, props, effects, and unplanned pet appearances, um, all of our readings are also available on our YouTube channel. Just search My Entertainment World and you'll see it there. Um, Please keep in mind that these are genuinely cold readings. We're publishing unedited, so bear with us through some stumbles, tangents, and of course every time someone's accidentally on mute. Um, That happens all the time. Sometimes people don't show up. You just got to bear with us. Uh, So to make sure you don't miss any of our content, be sure to subscribe on YouTube or on our podcast feed where you'll find episodes of all our favorite ongoing series, including this one, of course, as well as the Shakespeare series, the favorite series, Corona Movie Club, exclusive interviews, as well as our annual MLB Roundtable discussion, which is my very favorite thing we do. So follow us on social media at myentworld, my E-N-T world. Um, And of course, check out the website, myentertainmentworld.ca, where you can find all of the above, as well as reviews, editorials, artist spotlights, and so much more. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. So moving on to our next season of shows, Um, our next little four-week season was 20th Century Classics. And so much of the reason I wanted to do 20th Century Classics was because I really wanted to do 12 Angry Men. I love this script. I think it is one of the all-time great examples of just theater and, and what is possible in a play format that doesn't need to be a movie or a book or anything else. Like there's something about just like stick a bunch of people in a room, let the clock run and have them talk. And there's something really compelling and inherently theatrical about that. And I just think the writing is so complex and beautiful. And I also think this script stands up like no other. You read this and you sort of extrapolate it into a contemporary context and it's still very much there. But every time I read it, I'm just like, why is it 12 angry men? Why can't it be like, I really think that if you conscientiously cast this show using a mix of people, mix of genders, mix of races, mix of people and make it just 12 angry jurors, it It still totally resonates and then there's so many of the characters who in the script just appear as numbers, you know, jury foreman, jury two, jury five, like those, they're, but they are, they're just listed as numbers, so, which is why you can cast them, I think, any way you want, but they do have very rich, complex identities and I think that a lot of them, um, more can be pulled out of them by casting them with different identities, um, in terms of race and gender and representation, things like that. So I think it's, it's really always compelling to see it played with a, mic, a genuinely mix of people and um, with a bit of a contemporary eye. I think it's a really, really cool script that will absolutely deserve to stand the test of time, despite the fact that there is a very famous film version. And generally speaking, I find that when there is a, f- a famous film version, the, the theater version sort of slips away because everyone just thinks of the, the famous version and wants to imitate it all the time. Um, which is why we cast this very differently. Um, obviously, our, our juror number eight, the, the big famous, uh, I think he's Peter Fonda in the film. He's a, um, the hero of the play. Um, we cast Shailen Bass-McVall, obviously turn the character female, but also just Shailen is a wonderful uh, leading lady. She has a, a great ability to sort of set the pace. And that is something that's really important for juror eight, the idea of being able to turn a room. And so uh Shaylin is obviously uh someone who is able to do that. So that was a, a sort of easy piece of casting. Um and then we have some more some other silly versions of casting where like uh, juror number seven's wait uh getting really anxious cuz he has baseball tickets he wants to he wants to go to the game and so he wants to leave and so I gave that to Melissa Wright who is like the biggest sports fan I know. Um and so there are some like silly pieces of casting that are they're like oh this person has like this small thing in common with you let's give this to you but then we also have some some really fun sort of darker turns christopher prentice plays juror three and sean wilson plays juror 10 who are some of the more mm, let's just go straight up to the word bigoted they're like pretty dark harsh sort of like white men um and though chris and sean are very good people um it was very important to me that those characters be played by white men. Um and so they are and they're both very compelling and 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 really uh, they're both intense actors and so it was it was really there's some really hard stuff there. Um the judge is played by Nicole Falgu because she's a real-life lawyer and I thought that'd be funny and I think she should be a judge. Actually I personally think she should run for congress, but If she doesn't do that, she should be a judge. (laughs) So she's playing our judge here. Um, Juror number four is Anne Van Leeuwen. Uh, She was very fun as the stockbroker, sort of very practical character. And juror number two, this was our introduction to Olivia John, who became a very well-beloved member of our troupe. So it was lovely to have her join us for the first time here. Um, Yeah. Okay, well, I hope you enjoy 12 Angry Men. I think, it's, I think it's a really, really special play. It has a really cool, should have a bigger place in history than it does, and it should be produced way more often. I hope you hear it and love it and enjoy it and agree with me.
1: So the jury foreman will be played by Michael Ross Albert. Hello. Juror number two will be played by Olivia John, or Jan, John? John. John. <laughs> Juror 3 is Christopher Prentice. Hello. Juror 4, Ann Van Lewin.
2: Uh, hot, fuck fuck.
1: We <laughs> got sorry, you. Good. Sorry, I was clear. <laughs> Juror 5, Ziad Eck. Hey guys. Juror 6, Laura Hubbard.
3: Reporting for jury duty. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Juror 7, Melissa Wright.
4: You said it wrong, but hi. Wow.
1: Jur 8, Shaylin Bass McFall. Hello. Jur 9, Grace Smith. Hello. Jur 10, Sean Wilson. Present. Jur 11, Basil Dowd. Good evening. Jur 12, Jake Silbert. Hi. Jur Judge Nicole Falgu. Hi. <laughs> Guard, Saya Floyd. Hello. And stage directions will be by me. I apologize to everyone in advance. All right, and as we are on the way, let me just scroll over here. There we go. Act one, the jury room of a New York court of law, 1957, a very hot summer afternoon. It is a large, drab, bare room in need of painting with three windows in the back wall, through which can be seen the New York skyline. Off the jury room is a washroom with washbasin, soap, and towels visible on stage, and a lavatory beyond. A large, scarred table is center, with 12 chairs around it. A bench stands against the wall, and there are several extra chairs and small table in the room, plus a water cooler with paper cups and a wastebasket and an electric fan over the bench and a clock above the cooler and a row of hooks or coats with a shelf over it. There are pencils, pads, and ashtrays on the table. At night, the room is lit by fluorescent lighting with the switch next to the door. When the curtain rises, the room is empty. The voice of the judge is heard.
5: And that concludes the court's explanation of the legal aspects of this case. And now gentlemen of the jury, I come to my final instruction to you. Murder in the first degree, premeditated homicide, is the most serious charge tried in our criminal courts. You've listened to the testimony and you've had the law read to you and interpreted as it applies to this case. It now becomes your duty to try and separate the facts from the fancy. One man is dead. The life of another is at stake. I urge you to deliberate honestly and thoughtfully. If there is a reasonable doubt, then you must bring me a verdict of not guilty. If, however, there is no reasonable doubt, then you must, in good conscience, find the accused guilty. However, you decide. Your verdict must be unanimous. In the event you find the accused guilty, the bench will not entertain a recommendation for mercy. The death sentence is mandatory in this case.
1: The door opens and the guard enters. He carries a clipboard with a list of the jurors.
5: I don't envy your job. You are faced with a grave responsibility. Thank you, gentlemen.
1: There's a brief pause, sound of jurors walking, talking.
5: All right, let's move along gentlemen and gentle ladies.
1: The jurors enter, the guard checks his list. The ninth juror, an old man crosses, goes into the washroom and exits the lavatory. The fourth juror begins to read a newspaper. Several jurors open the windows. Others move awkwardly about the room. There is no conversation for a few moments. The third juror takes out some notes and studies them. The second juror crosses to the water cooler and gets a cup of water. The foreman tears a sheet from a notepad and tears up little slips of paper for ballots. The guard crosses to the twelfth juror and checks his name. The seventh juror crosses to the fourth juror and offers him a stick of gum. The fourth juror shakes his head.
4: You want some gum? No, thanks.
1: The seventh juror Vigorously chews a piece of gum himself and crosses to the sixth juror.
4: You know something? I phoned up for the weather. This is the hottest day of the year.
1: The sixth juror nods and gazes out the window.
5: You think they'd at
4: least air condition the place? I almost dropped dead in court.
5: Okay, everyone's here. If there's anything you want, I'm right outside. Just knock.
1: The guard exits, and in the silence, the sound is heard of the door being locked.
6: I never knew they locked the door. Sure, they really locked the door. What'd you think? Uh, I don't know. It just never occurred to me.
1: The 10th juror crosses and pauses beside the foreman and indicates the slips of paper.
7: Yeah, what's that for? Well, I figured we might want to vote by
8: ballots. <laughs> Great idea. Maybe we can get him elected senator. <laughs> <coughs> the
1: foreman looks at his watch and compares it with the clock. The third juror takes a cup of water from the water cooler, moves the second juror, and looks around the room as he sips the water. How do you like it?
9: I don't know. It was pretty interesting.
10: Yeah? I was falling asleep.
9: Uh, I mean, I've never been on a jury before.
10: Really? I've sat on juries, and it always amazes me the way these lawyers can talk and talk and talk, even when the case is as obvious as this one. I mean, did you ever hear so much talking about nothing?
9: Well, I guess they're entitled.
10: Mm, sure, they are. Everybody deserves a fair trial. That's the system. Listen, I'm the last one to say anything against it, but I'm telling you, sometimes I think we'd be better off if we took these tough kids and slapped them down before
1: they make trouble, you know, save a lot of time and money. The second juror looks nervously at the third juror. Nods, rises, moves to the water cooler, refills his cup, and stands alone, sipping.
4: Uh, hey, how about we get, uh, how about getting started here?
1: Yeah,
10: <clears throat> let's get this over with. Probably all got things to do.
7: Well, I was figuring we'd take a five-minute break. I mean, the old man's in the bathroom.
6: Uh, are we gonna sit in order?
1: I don't know. The eighth juror is looking out the window. Not a bad view. The 8th juror nods.
11: What do you think of the case?
1: The 8th juror doesn't answer.
12: I had a lot of interest for me. No dead spots, know what I mean? I'll tell you we're lucky to get a murder case. I figured for a burglary or an assault or something. Those can be the dullest. Say, isn't that Woolworth building over there? Sorry. Funny, I've lived here all my life and I've never seen it.
1: The eighth juror gazes out the window. The twelfth juror looks at him for a moment and moves away.
4: Goddamn waste of time.
1: Imagine sitting in here for three days just for this?
4: And what about that business with the knife? I mean, asking grown-up people to believe that kind of bullshit? Well, look,
1: you gotta expect that. You know what you're dealing with. Yeah, I suppose so. (laughs) Jur his nose vigorously.
4: What's the matter? You got a cold? Uh,
1: and how? These hot weather colds could
8: kill you. I could hardly touch my nose, you know what I mean?
4: Well, your horn's all right. <sighs> gonna try your lights. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. The fan doesn't work. Somebody take a letter to the mayor. Dear Stingy.
7: Uh, let me take a look at it.
1: The third jur moves above the fourth jur leans over and scans the fourth juror's newspaper. The foreman climbs on the bench and examines the fan.
7: Doesn't work.
10: I didn't get a chance to look at the newspapers today. Anything new going on?
2: Uh, I was just wondering how the market closed.
10: Oh, I wouldn't know. Say, are you on the exchange or something? I'm a broker. Really? I run a messenger service, the Beck and Call Company. (laughs) It's my wife's idea. I employ 37 people. I started with nothing.
4: Uh, hey, Mr. Foreman, let's go. What do you say?
7: All right, gentlemen, let's take let's take seats.
4: This better be fast. I got tickets to a ball game tonight, Yankees at Cleveland. We got this new kid pitching, Modleyuski, or whatever his name is. He's a bull, this kid. Like, oh, shoot, a real jug handle. You're you're quite a ball fan, aren't you? Where do you want us to sit?
7: Well, I was thinking we would sit, we ought to sit in order by jury numbers two, three, four, and so on, if that's okay with you, gentlemen.
1: What's the difference?
2: I think it's reasonable to sit according to number.
1: Let it be. The jurors begin their seats. The eighth juror continues to stare out of the window, the ninth juror is still in the lavatory.
12: What was uh, your impression of the prosecuting attorney?
11: Uh, I beg your pardon?
12: I thought he was really sharp. I mean, the way he hammered home his points one by one, logical sequence, it takes a good brain to do that. I was very impressed. Yes,
11: I think he did an expert
12: job. I mean, he had a lot of drive, too. Real drive.
4: Okay, let's get this show on the road.
7: How about sitting down?
1: The eighth juror does not hear the foreman.
7: The gentleman at the window?
1: The eighth juror turns, startled. How about sitting down? Sorry. (laughs) The ninth juror enters the washroom from the laboratory and washes his hands.
7: Pretty tough to figure, isn't it?
8: Kid kills his father, bing, just like that.
12: Well, if you analyze the figures...
8: What figures? It's those people. I'm I'm telling you, they let their kids run wild up there. Maybe
1: it serves them right, you know? (laughs) You know what I mean? The foreman crosses to the washroom door.
4: Hey, you a Yankee fan?
6: No, Milwaukee.
4: (laughs) Milwaukee? That's like being hit on the head with a crowbar once a day. (laughs) Listen, who they got, I'm asking you, who they got besides great groundskeepers?
1: We'd like to get started. The ninth juror enters from the washroom.
13: I'm sorry.
1: The ninth juror crosses and takes a seat.
13: Milwaukee.
7: All right. Now, you gentlemen can handle this any way you want to. I mean, I'm not going to have any rules. If we want to discuss first and then vote, that's one way. Or we can vote right now and see how we stand. Well, that's all all I have to say.
2: I think it's customary to take a preliminary vote. Yeah, let's vote. Who knows? Maybe we can all go home.
7: Up to you. Just let's remember, we've got a first degree murder charge here. If we vote guilty, we send the accused to the electric chair. That's mandatory.
2: I think we all know that.
7: Come on, let's vote. Yeah, let's see who's where. Anybody doesn't want to vote? All right. This has to be 12 to nothing vote either way. That's the law. Okay, are we ready? All those voting
1: guilty, raise your hands. Seven or eight hands go up immediately. Several others go up more slowly. Everyone looks around the table as the foreman rises and begins to count hands. The ninth juror's hand goes up now, and all hands are raised except the eighth jurors. That's 11 for guilty, okay? Not guilty? The eighth juror slowly raises his hand. One, right? Okay,
7: 11 to one, guilty. Now we know where we are. Oh boy, there's always one.
9: So what do we do now? Well, I guess we talk. boy, oh boy.
10: Well, look, do you really think he's innocent? I don't know. I mean, let's be reasonable. You sat in court and heard the same things we did. The man's a dangerous killer, you could see it.
14: The man? He's sixteen years old.
10: Well, that's old enough. He knifed his own father four inches into the chest.
3: It's pretty obvious. I mean, I was convinced from the first day.
10: Well, who wasn't? I really think this is one of those open and shut things. They proved it a dozen different ways. Would you like me to list them for you? No. And what do you want?
14: Nothing. I, I just want to talk.
4: Well, what's there to talk about? Eleven men here agree.
14: Nobody had to think twice about it except you. All
8: right. I want to ask you something.
14: Do you believe his story? I don't know whether I believe it or not. Maybe I don't. Uh, so what'd you vote not guilty for? There were 11 votes for guilty. It's not easy for me to raise my hand and send a boy off to die without thinking about it first. Who says it's easy for me? No one.
4: What, just because I voted fast? I think the guy's guilty. You couldn't change my mind if
14: you talked for 100 years. I'm not trying to change your mind. Not just. It's just that we're talking about somebody's life here. I mean... We can't decide in five minutes. Suppose we're wrong. Suppose we're wrong? Suppose this whole building fell on
4: my head. You can suppose anything. That's right. What's the difference how long it takes? We honestly think he's guilty. So suppose we finish in five minutes, so what? Let's take an hour. The ball game doesn't start till eight o'clock. Okay, Slugger, be my guest.
7: Well, who's got something to
1: say? He looks at the second juror. How about you?
9: Not me.
13: I'm willing to put in an hour.
8: Great. I had a pretty good story last night. This woman comes running into the doctor's office, stripped to the waist.
14: That's not what we're sitting here for.
8: All right, then you tell me. What
14: are we sitting here for? Maybe for no reason. I don't know. Look, this boy's been kicked around all his life. You know living in a slum his mother's dead since he was nine spent a year and a half in an orphanage while his father served a jail term for forgery that's not a very good head start he's had a pretty terrible 16 years i think maybe we owe him a few words that's all
8: i don't mind telling you this mister you don't owe him a thing he got a fair trial didn't he what do you think that cost He's lucky he got it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Look, we're all grown-ups here. We all heard the facts, didn't we? Now, you're not going to tell us that we're supposed to believe that kid knowing what he is. I mean, <laughs> Listen, I, I've lived among them all my life. You can't believe a word they say. I mean, they're born liars.
13: It suddenly occurs to me that you must be a very ignorant man. What do you mean?
8: What's he talking about?
13: Do you think you have a monopoly on the truth?
8: What are you making a federal case out of it for?
13: I <laughs>
10: like this guy.
13: I think certain things should be pointed out to this man. All
10: right. It's not Sunday. We don't need a sermon in here.
1: Monopoly. For Christ's sakes. The ninth juror half raises, rises, but then feels the eighth juror's hand firmly on his arm, gently pulling him down. The 12th juror doodles on his notepad.
2: If we're going to discuss this case, let's stick to the facts.
7: Right. We we have a job to do. Let's do it. Maybe if the gentleman who's disagreeing down there could tell us why. You know, why he thinks uh, we could show him where he's probably mixed up.
11: What, what are you doing?
12: Oh, uh, it's one of the products I work on. You know? with the built-in dots. Rice pops. I wrote that
11: line. It's very catchy. Uh,
1: if you don't mind. <clears throat> the second juror rises, goes to the coat hooks, and takes a package of cough drops from his jacket pocket.
12: <clears throat> I'm sorry. I have this habit of doodling. It keeps me thinking clearly.
7: We're trying to get some place here. You know, we can't sit here forever.
12: Well, look, maybe this is an idea. I'm just thinking out loud, but it seems to me it's up to us to convince this gentleman we're right and he's wrong. Maybe if we took a minute or two, I mean, it's just a quick thought. No, I, I think it's a good one.
7: Supposing we go once around the table in order of jury numbers.
4: Anything. Let's start
7: it off. That means you're first.
9: Uh, well, well, it's hard to put into words. I just think he's guilty. I, I thought it was obvious from the word go. I-, I mean, nobody proved otherwise. Nobody
14: has to prove otherwise. The burden of proof is on the prosecution. The defendant doesn't have to open his mouth. It's in the Constitution. You've heard of it?
9: Yeah, well, sure, I've heard of it. I I know what it is. I, what I meant, well, the man is guilty. I mean, somebody saw him do it.
10: Okay, now, here's what I think. And I have no personal feelings about this. I'm talking facts. Number one, let's take the old man who lived in the second floor, right underneath the room where the murder took place. At 10 minutes after 12, Uh, On the night of the killing, he heard loud noises in the apartment upstairs. He said it sounded like a fight. Then he heard the kid shout out, I'm going to kill you. A second later, he heard a body fall, and he ran to the door of the apartment, looked out, saw the kid running down the stairs and out of the house. Then he called the police. They found the father with a knife in
7: his chest. And the coroner fixed the time of death at around midnight.
10: Right. I mean, there are facts. These are facts for you. You can't refute facts. The boy is guilty. Look... I'm as sentimental as the next guy. I know the kid is only 16, but he's still got to pay for what he did.
2: I'm with you, Pops. It was obvious, to me, anyway, that the boy's entire story was flimsy. He claimed he was at the movies during the time of the killing, and yet one hour later he couldn't remember what films he saw or who played in them.
10: That's right. Did you hear that? You're absolutely right.
2: No one saw am going into or out of the theater.
8: Listen, what about the woman across the street? If her testimony don't prove it, nothing does.
11: That's right. She was the one who actually saw the killing. Let's go in order here.
8: <clears throat> Just a minute. Here's, here's a woman. <clears throat> All right. Here's a woman who's lying in bed, can't sleep. She's dying in the heat, you know what I mean? Anyway, she looks out the window right across the street, sees the kid stick the knife into his father. Time is 12.10 on the nose. Everything fits. Look, look, she's known the kid all his life. His window is right opposite hers across the L tracks. And she swore she saw him do it. Through
14: the windows of a passing elevated train.
8: Right. This L train had no passengers on it. It was just being moved downtown. Lights were out, remember? And they proved in court that at night you can look through the windows of an L train when the lights are out and see what's happening on the other side. They proved it.
14: I'd like to ask you something. Sure. You don't believe the boy. How come you believe this woman? She's one of them too, isn't she?
8: Oh, you're a pretty smart fellow, aren't you?
1: Tester. Hey, let's take it easy.
10: Sorry. Uh, uh, what's he so wise about? I'm I'm telling you. Come on. Sit down. What are you letting me get getting you all upset for?
7: The tenth juror sits. Let's calm down now. Let's try and keep it peaceful in here. Whose turn is it? Okay. How about you? Uh I'll I'll pass it. That's your privilege. How about the next gentleman?
3: Uh I don't know. I started to be convinced uh you know, very early in the case. Well, I was looking for the motive. That's very important. There's no motive. Where's the case? So anyway, the testimony from the people across the hall, from the kid's apartment, that was very powerful. Uh, didn't they see something about an argument between the father and the boy around seven o'clock that night? I mean, I can be wrong.
11: Uh, it was uh, eight o'clock, not seven.
3: That's right. Eight o'clock. They
14: heard an argument, but they couldn't hear what it was about. They then they heard the father hit the boy twice, and finally they saw the boy walk angrily out of the house. What,
3: what does that prove? Well, it doesn't exactly prove anything. It's just part of the picture. I didn't say it proved anything. You said it revealed a motive for the killing. The
14: prosecution attorney said the same thing. I, I don't think it's a very strong motive. This boy has been hit so many times in his life that violence is practically a normal state of affairs for him. I can't see two slaps in the face provoking him into committing murder. Might have been two slaps too many.
7: Everyone has a breaking point. Anything else? Uh no. How about the next gentleman?
3: Me?
4: I I don't know. It's it's practically all said already. We can talk about it forever. I mean, this kid is oh for five. Look at his record. He was in children's court when he was 10 for throwing a rock at his teacher. At 14, he was in reform school, He stole a car. He's been arrested for mugging. He was picked up twice for trying to slash another teenager with a knife. He's real quick with switch knives, they said. He's
14: a very fine boy. Ever since he was five years old, his father beat him up regularly. He uses his fists. So would I, a kid like that? Wouldn't you call those beatings the motive to kill his father? I don't know. It's a motive for him to be an angry kid, I'll say that.
10: It's the kids. The way they are nowadays. Angry. Hostile. You can't do a damn thing with them. Just the way they talk to you. Listen, when I was his age, I used to call my father Sir. That's right, Sir. You ever hear a boy call his father that anymore?
14: Fathers don't seem to think it's important anymore.
10: No? Have you got any kids? Two. Yeah. Well, I got one. He's 20. We did everything for that boy, and what happened? When he was 9, he he ran away from a fight. I saw him. I was so ashamed, I almost threw up. So I told him right out, I'm going to make a man out of you, or I'm going to bust you in half trying. Well, I made a man out of him, all right. And when he was 16, we had a battle, hit me right in the face. He's big, you know. I haven't seen him in two years. It's a rotten kid, and you worked your heart out. Ah, let's get on with it.
2: I I think we're missing the point here. This boy, let's say he's a product of a filthy neighborhood and a broken home. We can't help that. We're here to decide whether he's guilty or innocent of murder, not to go into reasons why he grew up this way. He was born in a slum. Slums are breeding grounds for criminals. I know it, so do you, it's no secret. Children from slum backgrounds are potential menaces to
8: society. Now, you can say that again. The kids who crawl out of those places are real trash. I don't want any part of them. I'm telling
6: you. I've lived in a slum all my life. I nursed that trash in Harlem hospital six nights a week.
8: Now, all right, wait a
7: second.
6: I used to play in a backyard that was filled with garbage. Maybe it still smells on me.
7: Now, listen,
1: buddy. Now, let's be reasonable. There's nothing personal. There
7: is
6: something personal.
1: The third juror moves to the fifth juror and pats him on the shoulder. Come on, the now. did not look up. He didn't mean you, fella. Let's not
7: be so sensitive. Uh, this
11: sensitivity I understand.
7: All right, let, let's stop all this arguing. We're wasting time here. It's your turn. Let's go.
14: I uh, well I didn't expect a turn. I thought you were all supposed to convince me, wasn't that the idea? Check. I forgot that. Well, what's
8: the difference? He's the one who's keeping us here. Let's hear what he's got to say.
7: Now, just a second. We decided to do it in a certain way. Let's stick to what we said. Stop being a kid, will you? A kid? Listen, what do you mean by that? (laughs) What do you think I mean? K-I-D kid. What, just because I'm trying to keep this thing organized? Listen, you want to do it? Here, you sit here. You take the responsibility. I'll just shut up. That's all. Listen. What are you getting so hot about, all right? Just calm down, will you? Don't tell me to calm down. Here, here's the chair. You keep it going smooth and everything. What do you think? It's a snap? Come on, Mr. Foreman. Let's see how great you run the show. Did
8: you ever see such a thing?
12: You think it's funny or something? Take it easy. The whole thing's unimportant. Unimportant? You want to try it? No, listen. doing a beautiful job. Nobody wants to change. Yeah,
4: you're, you're doing great. Hang in there and pitch.
8: All right, let, let's hear from somebody.
14: Well, if you want me to tell you how I feel about it I, right now, it's uh, all right by me.
7: I don't care what you do.
14: All right. I haven't got anything brilliant. I only know as much as you do. I'm, according to the testimony, the boy looks guilty. Maybe he is. I sat there in court for three days listening while the evidence built up. Everybody sounded so positive that I started to get a peculiar feeling about this trial. I mean, nothing is that positive. I had questions I would have liked to ask. Maybe they wouldn't have meant anything. I don't know. But I I started to feel that the defense counsel wasn't doing his job. He let too many things go. Little things. What little things? Listen, when when these guys
8: don't ask questions, that's because they know the answers already, and they figured they'll be hurt.
14: Maybe. It's also possible for a lawyer to just plain be stupid, isn't it?
3: Maybe. You sound like you've had my (laughs) (laughs) brother-in-law.
14: I keep putting myself in the boy's place. I would have asked for another lawyer, I think. I mean, if I was on trial for my life, I'd want my lawyer tear the prosecution witness to shreds or at least try to look there was one alleged eyewitness to this killing someone else claims he heard the killing and then saw the boy running out afterwards there was a lot of circumstantial evidence but actually those two witnesses were the entire case for the prosecution supposing they were wrong
12: what do you mean supposing they were wrong what's the point of having witnesses at all
14: couldn't they be wrong?
12: They sat on the stand under oath. What are you trying to say?
14: They're only people. People make mistakes. Couldn't they be wrong? I,
12: mm, I don't think so. Do you know so? Well, now listen. Nobody can know a thing like that. This isn't an exact science.
10: That's right. It isn't. All All right. Let's just try to get to the point here. What about the switch knife they found in the father's chest?
9: Um, well, wait a minute. I, I think we ought to, there's some people who haven't talked yet. Shouldn't we Look, try to-
10: they can talk whenever they like. Now just be quiet a second, will you? Okay. What about the knife? You know, the one that that fine upright boy admitted buying on the night of the murder. Let's talk about that.
14: All right. Let's talk about it for a minute. I'll just get it in here and look at it. I'd like to see it again.
1: Mr. Foreman? The Foreman rises and crosses the door. We all know what it looks like. The Foreman knocks on the door. The guard unlocks the door and enters. The Foreman whispers to him. The guard nods and exits, locking the door. What are we going to get out of seeing it again?
6: You brought it up.
2: Gentleman has a right to see exhibits and evidence. The knife and, and the way it was bot is pretty strong out of it. Don't you think so? I do. Good. Now suppose we take these facts one at a time. One. The boy admitted going out of his house at eight o'clock on the night of the murder after being punched several times by his father. He didn't say punched, he said hit. There's a big difference
14: between a slap and a punch.
2: After being hit several times by his father. Two. The boy went directly to a neighborhood junk shop where he bought, uh, what do you call these things? Uh, switch uh, knives. Yeah, it's switch, switch blade knife. Thank you, whatever. Three, this wasn't what you'd call an ordinary knife. It had a very unusual carved handle. Four, the storekeeper who sold it to him identified the knife in court and said that it was the only one of its kind he had ever had in stock. Five. At oh about eight forty-five, the boy ran into three friends of his in front of a diner. Am I correct, so far Yes, you are.
10: You bet he is. Now listen to this man, he knows what he's talking about.
2: <sighs> the boy walked with his friends for about an hour, leaving them at nine forty-five. During this time, they saw the switch. Knife six. Each of them identified the death weapon in court as the same knife. Seven. The boy arrived home at about ten o'clock. Now, this is where the stories offered by the boy and the state begin to diverge slightly. He claims that he stayed home until eleven thirty and then went to one of those all-night movie things. He returned home at about three fifteen in the morning to find his father dead and himself arrested. Now. What happened to the switch knife? This is the charming and imaginative little fable the boy invented. He claims that the knife fell through the hole in his pocket sometime between 11.30 and 3.15 while he was on his trip to the movies and that he never saw it again. Now, this is a tale, gentlemen. I think it's quite clear that the boy never went to the movies that night. No one in the house saw him go out at 11.30. No one at the theater identified him. He couldn't even remember the names or the pictures he saw. What actually happened is this. The boy stayed home, had another fight with his father, stabbed him to death with a knife, and 10 minutes after 12 and fled from the house. He even remembered to wipe the knife clean of fingerprints.
1: The guard unlocks the door and enters carrying a curiously designed knife with a tag hanging from it. The fourth juror goes to the guard and takes the knife from him. The guard exits and locks the door.
2: Everyone connected with the case identified the knife. Now, are you trying to tell me that it really fell through a hole in the boy's pocket and that someone picked it up off the street, went to the boy's house and stabbed his father with it just to be
14: amusing? No, I'm saying it's possible. That the boy lost the knife and that someone else stabbed his father with a similar knife it's possible
1: the fourth juror flicks open the knife and jams it into the table
14: take a look at the knife
2: i've never seen anything like it neither had the storekeeper who sold it to the boy are you asking us to be to accept a pretty incredible
14: coincidence i'm not asking anyone to accept it i'm just saying That it's possible.
1: And I'm saying it's not possible. The eighth juror stands for a moment in silence. Then he reaches into his pocket and swiftly withdraws a knife. He holds it in front of his face and flicks open the blade. Then he leans forward and sticks the knife into the table alongside the other. They are exactly alike. There is a burst of sound. The eighth juror stands back from the table, watching.
2: Look at it, it's the
12: same knife.
8: What is this?
12: Where'd that come from? How'd you like that? What are you trying to do?
8: What's going on here? Who do you think you are? Quiet, quiet,
2: let's be quiet. Where'd you get that knife?
14: I was walking for a couple of hours last night, just thinking. I walked through the boy's neighborhood. The knife comes from a little pawn shot three blocks from his house. It cost me $6. <laughs>
2: It's against the law to buy or sell switchblade knives.
14: That's right. I broke the law.
10: Listen, (laughs) you pulled a real bright trick here. Now, supposing you tell me what you proved. Maybe then there are ten knives like that? So what? Maybe there are. So what does that mean? It's the same kind of knife. So what's that? The discovery of the
11: age something? It would still be an incredible coincidence for another person to have stabbed the father with the same kind of knife. That's right. He's right
10: the odds are
2: a million to one it's possible not very possible
7: listen let's take seats there's no point in milling around here
1: they begin to move back to their seats the eighth juror stands watching
9: it's interesting that he'd find a knife exactly like the one the boy bought
10: what's interesting you think it proves anything
9: well, no i was just interesting thinking...
10: listen How come the kid bought the knife to begin with?
14: Well, he claims that he...
10: I know. He claims he bought it as a present for a friend of his. He was going to give it to him the next day because he busted the other kid's knife, dropping it on the pavement.
13: That's what he said. Baloney. The friend testified that the boy did break his knife.
10: Yeah. And how long before the killing? Three weeks? Right? So how come our noble lad bought this knife one half hour after his father smacked him and three and a half hours before they found it shoved up here into his father's chest?
4: Well, he was going to give the knife to his friend. He just wanted to use it for a minute. (laughs)
14: Let me ask you this. It's one of the questions I wanted to ask in court. If the boy bought the knife to use on his father, how come he showed what he was going to what was going to be the murder weapon to three friends of his just a couple hours before the killing.
10: Listen, all of this is just talk. The boy lied and you know it.
14: He may have lied. Do you think he lied?
8: <laughs> That's a stupid question. Sure, he lied.
2: Do you? You know my answer, he lied.
14: Do you think he lied?
6: I'm not sure. You're not sure about what?
10: Now, wait a second. What are you, the kid's lawyer or something? Who do you think you are to start cross-examining us?
14: Isn't that what's supposed to happen in a jury room?
10: Listen, there are still 11 of us in here who think that he's guilty.
14: Yeah,
4: what do you think you're going to accomplish? You're not going to change anybody's mind. If you want to be stubborn and hang this jury, go ahead. The kid will be tried again and found guilty, sure as he's born.
9: You're probably
2: right.
4: So what are you going to do about it? We can be here all night. Only one night. A boy may die. Brother, anybody got a deck of cards?
9: Uh, I don't think he should. I don't think you ought to make a joke about it.
7: What do you want me to do? Listen,
8: I don't see what all this stuff about the knife has to do with anything. Somebody saw the kid stab his father. What more what, what do we need? I got three garages of mine going to pot while you're talking. Let's get done and get out of here.
11: The knife was very important to the uh, district attorney. He spent one whole morning.
7: He's a 15th assistant or something. What does he know? Okay, I think we got to get on with it now. These side arguments only slow us up. What
3: about it? You're the only one. I have a proposition to make for all of you.
14: I want to call for a vote. I'd like you 11 men to vote by secret written ballot. I'll abstain. If there are still 11 votes for guilty, I won't stand alone. Uh, we'll take a guilty verdict into the judge right now. But if anyone votes not guilty, we'll stay and talk this thing out. Well, that's all if you want to try it. I'm ready.
1: Well,
7: finally,
10: you're behaving like a reasonable man.
12: Jack, I'll buy that.
4: Okay, let's do it.
1: Sounds fair. Some of the jurors nod. The eighth juror moves to the window. Anyone doesn't agree? Okay. Pass these along. The eighth juror stands, watching the others. The jurors pass the slips along. Finally, each of them begins to write. Now some of them... Begin to fold their slips and pass them back to the foreman. The foreman stacks all the slips on the table in front of him. He picks up the first slip of paper, opens it, and reads Guilty. He opens and reads the other slips in turn. Guilty. 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 Guilty.
7: Guilty. 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 Guilty.
1: Not guilty. Oh. There is a babble of voices. The eighth juror relaxes, moves to his chair, and sits. Guilty.
8: How do you like that?
4: And another tap, (laughs) goddamn wig. All right, all right, who was
8: it?
10: Uh, Come on, I want to know.
11: Excuse me, this was a secret ballot. We agreed on this. Secret?
10: What do you mean, secret? There are no secrets in a jury room? I know who it was. Brother, you're really something. You, know, you come in here and you vote guilty like everybody else, and then this golden voice preacher over here starts to tear your heart out with stories about a poor little kid who just couldn't help becoming a murderer, so you change your vote? If that isn't the most sickening... Why don't you drop a quarter in his collection
1: box? But now, wait a minute. The third juror turns away. You can't talk to me like that. The third juror turns to face him. The fourth juror slips in between them and takes the fifth juror by the arm.
6: No. Hey, wait, where does he get the right to shout at me?
2: All right, let's calm down.
6: Well, who
7: does he think he is? I, I mean, did you see him?
2: I'll just sit down. He's very excitable. Forget about it. Doesn't matter.
7: Yeah, you bet I'm excitable. We're trying
10: to put a guilty man into the chair where he belongs and all of a sudden somebody's telling us fairy tales and we're listening. Take it easy. What do you mean? Take it easy? you feel like seeing a proven murderer walking the streets? Why don't we just give him his knife back? Make it easier for him.
7: Okay, let's stop the yelling. Who's got something constructive to say?
11: Please, uh, I would like to say something here. Uh, I have always thought that in this country... A man was entitled to have unpopular opinions, and...
13: Let's stick to the subject. What made you change your vote? He didn't change his vote. I did. Would you like me to tell you why? No, I wouldn't like you to tell me why. Well, I'd like to make it clear anyway, if you don't mind. we have to listen to this?
3: Hey, look, the man wants to talk.
13: Thank you. <sighs> this gentleman has been standing alone against us. He doesn't say the boy is not guilty. He just isn't sure. Well, it's not easy to stand alone against the ridicule of others. He gambled for support, and I gave it to him. I respect his motives. The boy on trial is probably guilty, but I want to hear more.
1: The seventh juror crosses to the washroom.
13: For the time being, the vote is 10 to 2.
1: The seventh juror enters the washroom, slams the door after him.
13: Uh, I'm talking here. You have no right to... he can't hear you. He never will.
10: Well, if the speech is over, maybe we can go on. I think we ought to take a
7: break. One man's inside there. Let's wait for him.
1: The foreman moves above the table to where the two knives are stuck into it. He plucks the tag knife out and closes it.
12: Looks like we're pretty hung up here. I mean, that thing with the old man was pretty unexpected. I wish I knew how we could break this up. You know, in advertising, I told you I worked in an ad agency, didn't I?
1: The foreman crosses the door and knocks. The guard unlocks the door and enters. The foreman hands him the knife. The guard exits, locking the door.
12: Well, there are some pretty strange people. Not strange, really. Just, they have a particular way of expressing themselves, you know what I mean?
1: The eleventh juror nods.
12: Well, it's probably the same in your business, right? What do you do? Uh, I am a watchmaker. Really? The finest watchmakers come from Europe, I imagine.
1: The 11th juror bows slightly. The 6th juror rises and goes into the laboratory.
12: Anyway, I was telling you, in the ad agency, when they reach a point like this in a meeting, there's always some character ready with an idea. And it kills me. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. Sometimes, the way they perceive the idea with some kind of phrase, like, oh, some account exec will say, here's an idea, let's run it up the flagpole and see if anyone salutes it. Or... Put it on a bus and see if it gets off to Wall Street. I mean, it's idiotic, but it's fine.
1: The eighth juror goes into the washroom and hangs his jacket on a hook. The third juror crosses the fifth juror. Look, I was a little excited. Well, you know how it is. Uh, I didn't mean for it to get nasty or anything. The fifth juror crosses away from the third juror without answering. The seventh juror steps away from the washbasin and dries his hands. The eighth juror crossed the wash basin.
14: Say,
4: are you a salesman?
14: I'm an architect.
4: You know what the soft sell is? you pretty good at it, I'll tell you. I got a different technique. Jokes. Drinks. Knock them on their asses. I made 27000 yeah, last year selling marmalade. It's not bad, considering marmalade. What are you getting out of it? Kicks? Boy is guilty, pal. So let's go home before we got sore throats. What's the difference whether you get one here at the ballgame? No difference, pal. No difference at all.
1: The seventh juror goes back into the jury room. The sixth juror enters from the lavatory, goes to the wash basin, and washes his hands.
3: Yeah, nice bunch of guys. I guess they're the same as any. That uh, loud, a heavyset guy—the one who was telling us about the kid—the way he was talking, boy, that was an embarrassing thing. Yeah. What a murderous day. You think we'll be here much longer? I don't know. Um. Yeah, he's—he's he's guilty for sure. Uh, there's not a doubt in the whole world. Yeah, you know, we—we sh- should have been done already. Listen, I don't care. I, you know, it, it beats working.
1: It juror smiles.
3: Uh. You think he's innocent? I don't know. Possible. Hey, I I don't know you, but I'm betting you've never been wrong in your life. You ought to wrap it up. You're wasting your time. Suppose you were on that trial. Well, I'm not used to supposing. I'm just a working man. My uh, my boss does a supposing, but I'll try one. Suppose uh, you talk us all out of this, and this kid really did knife his father.
1: The sixth juror looks at the 8th juror for a moment, then goes into the jury room. The 8th juror stands alone for a few moments, and we know that this is the problem that has been tormenting him. He does not know, and never will. He switches out the washroom light and goes into the jury room. Okay, let's take seats.
9: Looks like we'll be here for dinner.
7: Okay, let's get down to business. Who wants to start it off? There is a pause.
2: Maybe it would be a profitable... Uh, well, I didn't... Just, I, well, I'd like go to...
3: Ahead. No, no okay. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. No,
2: no, go ahead. It's all right. Okay,
3: all right. Um, well, I was going to say, well, this is probably a small point, but uh, anyway, the boy had a motive for the killing. You know, the beatings and all, so if you didn't do it, who did? Uh, who else had the motive? that That's my point. I mean, nobody goes out and kill someone without a motive now unless he's just playing nuts right i don't Uh, i I, I don't think he would
14: right as far as i know we're supposed to decide whether or not the boy on trial is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt we're not concerned with anybody else's motives here that's a job for the police very true but we can't help let
2: Letting the only motive we know a, a creep into our thoughts, can we? And we can't help asking ourselves, who else might have had a motive? Hmm. Logically, these things follow. This gentleman is, is asking a reasonable question. Somebody killed him. Wasn't the boy, who was it?
10: Mojoluski.
2: You're talking about the man I love. If you haven't got anything to add besides jokes, I suggest you listen.
10: Okay. It's just letting off steam. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: Well, maybe you can answer me. Who else might have
14: killed the father? I don't know. Father wasn't exactly a model citizen. The boy's lawyer outlined his background in his closing statements. He was in prison once. He was also known to be a compulsive gambler and a pretty consistent loser. Spent a lot of time in neighborhood bars and get into fist fights sometimes after a couple of drinks usually over a woman Who's was a tough cruel primitive kind of man who never held a job more than six months in his life so here are a few possibilities he could have been murdered by one of many men he served time with in prison by a bookmaker by a man he's beaten up by a woman he's picked up by Any one of the people he was known to hang out with.
8: Boy, oh boy, that is the biggest load of crap I ever... Listen, we know the father was a bum, so what's that got to do with anything?
13: I didn't bring it up.
14: I was asked who else might have killed him. I gave my answer.
13: That gentleman over there asked a direct question. Everyone's
14: a lawyer.
10: Look, suppose you answer this for me. The old man who lived downstairs heard the kid yell out, I'm going to kill you. A split second later, he heard a body hit the floor. Then he saw the kid run out of the house. Now, where does all that mean to you?
14: I was wondering how clearly the old man could have heard the boy's voice through the ceiling.
10: Well, he didn't hear it through the ceiling. His windows were open, so it was the window upstairs. It was a hot night. Remember?
14: The voice came from another apartment. It's not easy to identify a voice, especially a shouting voice.
7: He identified it in court. He picked the vo- boy's voice out of five other voices blindfolded.
14: That was just an ambitious district attorney putting on a show. Look, the old man knows the boy's voice very well. They've lived in the same house for years. But to identify it positively from the apartment downstairs, isn't it possible he was wrong? that maybe he thought the boy was upstairs and automatically decided that the voice he heard was the boy's voice. I
2: I
8: think that's a bit (laughs) far-fetched. Brother, you can say that again. Look, the old man heard the father's body falling and then he saw the boy run out of the house 15 seconds later. He saw the boy. You're muted.
12: I apologize. Check, and don't forget the woman across the street. She looked right into the open window and saw the boy stab his father. I mean, isn't that enough for you?
14: Not right now, no, it isn't. How do you
2: like him? It's like talking into a dead phone. The woman saw the killing through the windows of a moving elevated train. The train had six cars and she saw it through the windows of the last two cars. She remembered the most insignificant details.
14: I don't see how you can argue with that.
10: Well, what do you have to say about it?
14: I don't know. It doesn't sound right to me.
1: Well, suppose you think about it. Let me your pencil. The twelfth juror hands the pencil to the third juror, who starts to draw what is obviously a tic-tac-toe pattern on the pad.
14: If anybody has any idea how long it takes an elevated train.
1: The eighth juror sees the third juror and the twelfth juror playing tic-tac-toe, snatches up the pad, tears off the top sheet, crumples it, and drops it in the wastebasket. Hey, wait a minute.
14: This isn't a game.
7: Who do you think you are? Alright, take it easy. Come on now, sit down. No, I've got a good mind to belt him. Now please, I don't want any fights in here. Did you see him? The nerve. The absolute nerve. All
8: right, right, forget it. It's it's not important,
7: you know what I mean? Is it a game? Who do you think he's dealing with here? Come on now, it's all over. Let's take our seats. What's all over? I want an apology.
3: Okay, Noisy, he apologizes. Now let's hear what the man has to say.
10: Thank you. I
14: wonder if anybody has an idea how long it takes an elevated train to going at medium speed to pass a given point. What has that got to do with anything? How long? Take a guess. I wouldn't have the slightest idea. What do you think?
6: Uh, I don't know, about 10 or 12 seconds, maybe? What's all this for?
14: I'd say that was a fair guess. Anyone else?
11: Uh, That sounds right to me.
8: Come on, what's the guessing game for? What would you say?
9: 10 seconds approximately
8: all right
2: 10
14: seconds say what are you getting at this it takes a six car l trains 10 seconds to pass a given point now say that given point is the open window of the room in which the killing took place you can almost reach out the window of that room and touch the l tracks right right all right now let me ask you this has anyone here ever lived right next to the l tracks
3: Well, I uh, just finished painting an apartment that overlooked the L-Line. I'm a house painter. You know, I was there for three days.
14: What was it like? What do you mean? Noisy?
3: Rather, it didn't matter. We're all punching our business anyway.
14: (laughs) I lived in a second floor apartment right next to an L-Line once. When the windows open and the train goes by, the noise is almost unbearable. I can't... You can't hear yourself think.
10: Okay, you can't hear yourself think. Will you get to the point?
14: I will. Let's take two pieces of testimony and try to put them together. First, the old man in the apartment downstairs. He said he heard the boy say, I'm going to kill you. And a split second later, he heard the body hit the floor. One second later, right? That's right. Second, the woman in the apartment across the street... She claimed that she looked out her window and saw the killing through the last two cars of a passing elevated train, right? The last two cars.
10: All right, what point are you making here?
14: Now, we agreed that an L train takes about 10 seconds to pass a given point. Since the woman saw the stabbing through the last two cars, we can assume that the body fell to the floor just as the train passed by, therefore the L train, had been roaring by the old man's window for a full 10 seconds before the body fell. The old man, according to his own testimony, hearing, I'm going to kill you, and the body falling a split second later, would have had to hear the boy make this statement while the L was roaring past his nose. It's not possible that he could have heard it.
10: That's idiotic, sure he could have heard it. Do you think so? The old man said he heard the boy yell it out. That's enough for me.
14: If he heard anything at all, he still couldn't have identified the voice with the L roaring by?
10: Look, you're talking about a matter of seconds here. Nobody can be that
6: accurate.
14: Well, I think that testimony that could put a human being in
3: the electric chair should be that accurate.
6: I don't think he could have heard it.
3: Yeah, maybe he didn't hear it. I mean, with the L noise... What are you people
6: talking about? Well, it stands to
10: reason. You're crazy! Why should he lie? What's he got to gain?
3: Attention, maybe.
10: Oh, he... You keep coming up with these bright sayings. Why don't you send one
1: into the newspaper? They pay three dollars.
3: Hey, what are you talking to him like that for?
1: The third juror looks at the sixth juror, then turns disgustedly away. The sixth juror reaches out and turns the third juror firmly around by the arm.
3: A guy who talks like that to an old man ought to really get stepped on, you know?
1: Get your hands off me.
3: Oh, you ought to have some respect, mister. If you say stuff to him like that, I'm gonna let you out.
1: The sixth juror releases the third juror and speaks to the ninth juror.
3: Go ahead. You say anything you want. Why do you think the old man might lie?
13: Just that I looked at him for a very long time. The seam of his jacket was split under his arm. Did you notice it? I mean, to come to court like that. He was a very old man with a torn jacket and he walked very slowly to the stand. He was dragging his left leg and trying to hide it because he was ashamed. I think I know him better than anyone here. This is a quiet, frightened, insignificant little old man who has been nothing all his life, who has never had recognition his name in the newspapers. Nobody knows him. Nobody quotes him. Nobody seeks his advice after 75 years. That's a very sad thing, to be nothing. A man like this just needs to be recognized, to be listened to, to be quoted just once. This is very important. It would be so hard for him to recede into the background. Now,
4: wait a minute. Are you trying to tell us he'd lie? Just so that he
13: could be important once. No, he wouldn't really lie. But perhaps he'd make himself believe that he'd heard those words and recognize the boy's face. That's
8: the most fantastic story I've ever heard. How can you make up a thing like that? What do you know
1: about it? The ninth juror
11: lowers his head, embarrassed.
2: Gentlemen... This case is based on a reasonable and logical progression of facts. Let's keep it there.
11: Uh, Facts may be colored by the personalities of the people who present them. Anybody want a cough drop? Uh, I'll take
1: one. The second juror offers the cough drops to the 10th juror. The 10th juror takes one. Thanks.
12: Say what you like. I still don't know how anybody can think this boy's not guilty.
1: Another
14: thing I wanted to talk about for a minute. I think we've proved that the old man couldn't have heard the boy say, I'm going to kill you, but supposing... He didn't prove it at all. What are you talking about? But supposing he really did hear it. This phrase. How many times has each of us used it? Probably hundreds. I could kill you for that, darling. If you do that once more, Junior, I'm going to kill you. Come on, Rocky, kill him. We say it every day. It doesn't mean we're going to kill someone.
10: Wait a minute. What are you trying to give us here? The phrase was, I'm going to kill you, and the kid screamed it out at the top of his lungs. And don't tell me he didn't mean it. Anybody says a thing like that, the way he said it, they mean it.
9: Uh, well, gee, I, I don't know. I remember I was arguing with a guy I worked, to, worked with next to the bank at a couple of weeks ago, and he called me an idiot, so I yelled at him. No,
10: you listen. This guy's making you believe things that aren't so. The kid said he was going to kill him, and he did kill him.
14: Well, let me ask you this. Do you really think the boy would shout out thing like that so the whole neighborhood would hear it? I don't think so. He's much too bright for that. Right? He's a common, ignorant
8: slob. He don't even speak good English.
11: He doesn't even speak good English.
6: I'd like to change my vote to not guilty.
4: Now you've got to be kidding.
7: You heard. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. The vote is nine to three in favor of guilty.
4: Well, if that isn't the living end, what are you basing it on? Stories this guy made up? He ought to write for Amazing Detective Monthly. He'd make a fortune. Listen, there are facts staring you right in your face. Every one of them says this kid killed his old man for crying out loud his own lawyer knew he didn't stand a chance right from the beginning. His own lawyer.
14: You could see it. He deserves the chair. Does he? It's happened before that someone's been convicted of murder and executed, and years later, someone else has been confessed to the crime. Sometimes. Sometimes the facts that are staring you in the face are wrong. I'm talking
4: to him, not you. Boy, this guy is really something. Listen, the kid had a lawyer, didn't he? The lawyer presented his case, not you.
14: How come you've got so much to say? The lawyer was court-appointed. So what does that mean? Well, it could mean a lot of things. It could mean he didn't want the case. It could mean he resented being appointed. It's the kind of case that brings the kind of case that brings him nothing—no money, no glory, not even much chance of winning. It's not a very promising situation for a young lawyer. He he'd probably have really have to believe in his client to make a good fight. As you pointed out a minute ago, he obviously didn't. Sure, he didn't. Who in hell could, except God, come to Earth or somebody? Come
4: on already. Look at the time.
11: Pardon me, but uh, I have made some notes here.
8: Notes yeah.
11: I would like please to say something. <clears throat> I have been listening very closely and it seems to me that uh, this man has some very good points to make. From what was presented at the trial, the boy looks guilty. But maybe if we go deeper- Come on, will you? There is, there is a question I would like to ask. We assume that the boy committed murder. He stabbed his father in the chest and ran away. This was at 12 minutes after 12. Now, how was he caught by the police? He came home at three o'clock or so, and was captured by uh, two detectives in the hallway of his house. My question is, if he had really killed his father, why would he come back three hours later? Wouldn't he be afraid of being caught?
10: Look, he came home to get his knife. It's not nice to leave knives sticking around in people's chests. Yeah,
4: especially relatives.
2: The boy knew there were people who could identify the knife as the one he had just bought. He had to get it before the police
11: did. But if he knew the knife could be identified, why did he leave it there in the first place?
2: Well, I think we can assume he ran out in a state of panic after he killed his father, and then when he finally calmed down and realized that he had left his knife there.
11: Uh, this then depends on your definition of panic. He was calm enough to see it, uh, see to it that there were no fingerprints on the knife. Now, where did his panic start, and where did it end? Look,
10: you can forget all that other stuff. He still came home to dig his knife out and get rid of it.
11: Three hours later? Sure, three hours later. <laughs> if I were the boy and I had killed my father, I would not have come home three hours later. I would I would be afraid that the police would be there. I would stay away. Neither Listen, you, night. you voted guilty, didn't you? What side are you on? I, I don't believe I have to be loyal to one side or the other. I am simply asking questions. Well,
12: this is just off the top of my head. But if I were the boy and I'd, you know, the stabbing and everything. i take the chance and go back for the knife. I'll bet he figured no one had seen him and that the body probably wasn't even discovered yet. After all, it was the middle of the night. He probably thought no one would find the body till the next day.
11: Uh, pardon, pardon. This is my, here is my whole point. The woman across the street testified that a moment after she saw the killing, that is, a moment after the L train went by, she screamed and then went to telephone the police. Now the boy must certainly have heard that scream and known that somebody saw something. I don't think he would have gone back if he had been the murderer.
2: Okay, two points. One, in his state of panic, he may not have heard the scream. Perhaps it wasn't very loud. Two, if he did hear it, he may not have connected it with his own act. Remember, you lived in a neighborhood where screams were fairly
14: commonplace. Right,
10: there's your answer.
14: Maybe, maybe he did stab his father and didn't hear the woman's screams, did run out in a panic, did come down, calm down three hours later and came back to try and get the knife, risking being caught by the police. Maybe all those things are so, but maybe they're not. I think there's enough doubt to make us wonder whether he was there at all during the time the murder took place.
8: What do you mean doubt? What are you talking about? Didn't the old man see him running out of the house? He's twisting the facts, I'm telling you. Did or didn't the old man see the kid running out of the house at 12:10? Well, did he or didn't he?
11: He says he did,
8: says he did. Oh boy, oh boy. How do you like that? Well, did or didn't the woman across the street see the kid kill his father? She says she did. You're making it out like it don't matter what people say. What you want to believe, you believe, and what you don't want to believe, you don't. Well, what kind of way is that? What do you think these people get up on the witness stand for? Their health? I'm telling you, man, the facts are being changed around here. Witnesses are being doubted, and there's no reason for it.
6: Witnesses can make mistakes.
8: (laughs) Sure. When you want them to, they do. (laughs) Know what I mean?
7: Okay, let's hold the yelling down.
8: You keep saying that. Maybe what we need is a little yelling in here. These guys are going off every which way. Did hear the scream, didn't hear the scream. What's the difference? They're just little details. You're forgetting the important stuff. I mean, all of a sudden here, everybody. I'd like to call for another vote. Listen, I'm talking here.
7: There's another vote called for. How about (laughs) taking seats? Jurors who are standing move toward their seats. What are
10: we gonna gain by voting again?
7: I don't know.
9: The gentleman asks.
10: God, I never saw so much time spent on nothing.
9: It only takes a second.
7: Okay, I guess the fastest way is to find out who's voting not guilty. All those in favor of not guilty, raise their hands.
1: Fifth, eighth, and ninth jurors raise their hands.
7: Still the same. One, two, three not-guilties, nine, guilties.
1: So
4: now where are we? I'm telling you, we can yakety-yak until next Tuesday here. Where's it getting us?
11: Uh, pardon, I uh, I vote not
10: guilty.
4: A brother! Oh,
10: now listen, what are you talking about? I mean, we're all going crazy in here or something. This kid is guilty. Why don't you pay attention to the facts? Listen, tell him, will ya? This has got to be a goddamn joke.
7: Vote is 8-4 to in favor of guilty. I mean, everybody's
10: heart is starting to bleed for this punk. This little kid. Like the president just declared it Love Your Underprivileged Brother Week or something. Listen, I'd like to tell you why. I'd like you to tell me why you changed your vote. Come on, give me reasons.
11: I don't have to defend my decision to you. I have a reasonable doubt in my mind. What reasonable doubt? That's nothing but words. Here, look at it.
10: The kid you just decided isn't guilty was seen ramming this thing into his father. Well, look at it, Mr. Reasonable Doubt.
13: That's not the knife. Don't you remember?
10: It's brilliant.
4: Hell yeah, this is the creep. I mean, you're sitting in here pulling stories out of thin air. What are we supposed to believe? I'm telling you, if this guy was sitting ringside at the Dempsey-Furpo fight, he'd be trying to tell us Furpo won. Look, what about the old man? Are we supposed to believe that he didn't get up <clears throat> and run to his door and see the kid tearing down the stairs 15 seconds after the killing? He's only saying he did to be important? I mean, what's the point of well, the- Hold it a second. And the Milwaukee rooter
3: is heard
6: from. What? Did the old man say he ran to the door?
3: Ran, walked, what's the difference? He got there. He said he ran to the door, at least I think he did. Uh,
6: I don't remember what he said, but I don't see how he could run.
3: He said he went from
2: his bedroom to the front door. That's enough, isn't it? Wait wait a minute.
8: Where was his bedroom again? Down the hall somewhere. I I thought you remembered everything.
14: Don't you remember that? No. Mr. Foreman, I'd like to look at the diagram of the apartment. (sighs) Why don't we have them run the trial over just so you can get
4: everything straight? Mr. Foreman?
1: I heard you. The Foreman goes to the door and knocks. The guard unlocks the door and enters. The Foreman confers briefly with him. The guard exits and locks the door after him.
10: All right, what's this for? How come you're the only one in the room who wants to see exhibits all the time? Well, I want to see this one too. And I want to stop wasting time.
2: You're going to start wading through all that
14: business about where the body was found. You're not. Not unless someone else wants to. I'd like to see if a very old man who drags one leg when he walks because he had a stroke last year can get from his bed to his front door in 15 seconds.
10: He said 20 seconds.
14: He said 15.
10: Now I'm telling you he said 20. What are you trying to distort? He said 15. How? <laughs> He does. How does he know how long 15 seconds is? You can't judge something that kind of thing.
13: He said 15 seconds. He was very positive about it. Well,
10: he's a very old man. You saw him. Half the time he was confused. How could he how could he be
1: positive about anything? The guard unlocks the door and enters, carrying a large diagram of the apartment. The diagram is a layout of a railroad flat. A bedroom faces the L tracks. Behind it is a series of rooms off a long hall. In the front room is an X marking the spot where the body was found. At the back of the apartment, we see the entrance into the apartment hall from the building hall. We see a flight of stairs in in the building's hall. Each room is labeled and the dimensions of each room are shown. The foreman takes the diagram. The guard exits and locks the door.
12: I don't see what we're going to prove here. The man said he saw the boy running out.
14: See if the details bear him out. As soon as the body fell to the floor, he said, he heard footsteps upstairs running towards the front door. He heard the upstairs door open and the footsteps start down the stairs. He got to his front door as soon as he could. He swore that it couldn't have been more than 15 seconds. Now, if the killer began running immediately down.
12: Well, maybe he didn't.
14: The old man said he did. You know, you ought to be down in Atlantic City
4: at the at that Hair Splitter's convention.
3: Listen, baseball, why don't you stop making smart remarks all the time,
4: my friend? For your three dollars a day, you've got to listen to everything.
8: Now that you got that thing in here, what about it? May
14: I? This is the apartment in which the killing took place. The old man's apartment is directly beneath it and exactly the same. Here are the L tracks bedroom another bedroom bathroom living room kitchen and this is the hall here's the front door to the apartment and here are the stairs now the old man was in bed in this room he says he got up went out into the hall went down the hall to the front door opened it and looked out just in time to see the boy racing down the stairs am i right so far
10: that's the story for the 19th time
14: Fifteen seconds after he heard the body fall. Correct. His bed was at the window. It's 12 feet from his bed to the bedroom door. The length of the hall is 43 feet, 6 inches. Now he had to get up out of bed, walk 12 feet, open the bedroom door, walk 43 feet, and open the front door, all in 15 seconds. Do you think he could have done it? Sure, he could
11: have done it. Uh, he can only walk very slowly. They had to help him into the witness chair. You, you make it sound like a long walk. It's not.
13: For an old man who's had a stroke, it's a long walk.
1: The aide moves his chair and sets the chair to indicate a bed.
13: This is
14: the old man's bed. What's going on here? I want to try this thing. Let's see how long it took him.
1: What do you
10: mean you want to try it? <laughs> Why didn't the kid's lawyer bring it up if it's so important?
6: Well, maybe you didn't just didn't think of it.
10: What do you mean he didn't think of it?
8: You think the man's an idiot or something? It, it's, it's an obvious thing.
6: Well, did you think of it?
8: Listen, smart guy, it doesn't matter whether I thought of it. Okay, now let's hold it down. He didn't bring it up because he knew the
14: answer had hurt his case. Now, what do you think of that? Okay. All right, here's the bed. I'm going to pace off 12 feet, the length of the bedroom.
10: You're crazy. You can't recreate a thing
1: like that. I'd
11: like to see it.
1: The twelfth juror picks up his chair and takes it to the eighth juror. The eighth juror puts the chair where he is standing.
14: Right, this is the bedroom door. The hall is a little over 43 feet long. I'll pace out to that wall and back again.
1: The eighth juror paces, counting his steps silently.
14: This is absolutely
8: insane. What's the idea of wasting everyone's time here?
14: Twelve. According to you, it'll only take fifteen seconds. We can spare that.
11: He
1: resumes his pacing, counting to himself, and reaches the wall. The others watch silently. He turns and paces, counting off the rest of the distance.
14: Thirty-nine, forty, forty-one, forty-two, forty-three. Okay. Pass me another chair, please.
1: The sixth juror picks up a chair and takes it to the eighth juror. The eighth juror places it where he is standing.
14: This is the door to the outside hall and stairway. It was chain-locked, according to the testimony. Who's got to watch with a second hand? I have. When you want me to start, stamp your foot. That'll be the body column. Time for me to... uh, Find me from there.
1: The eighth juror lies
10: down on the two chairs.
14: Anyone for charades?
10: Never seen anything like this in my
1: whole life.
14: Okay, I'm ready.
1: The second juror stares at his watch, waiting. Come on, let's go here.
9: I want to wait until the second hand reaches 60.
1: They wait. The second juror suddenly stamps his foot. The eighth juror rises to a sitting position swings his legs to the floor and stands up. The second juror keeps his eyes on his watch. The eighth juror hobbles, dragging one leg toward the chair that serves as the bedroom door. He reaches it and pretends to open the door. He then hobbles along the
11: simulated 43-foot hallway.
8: Come on, snap it up. You you walked twice as fast as
1: that.
11: This is, I think, even more quickly than the old man walked in the courtroom.
1: If you think I should go faster, I will. The eighth juror speeds up his pace slightly. Reaches the wall, turns, and heads for the second chair, the one simulating the door to the outer hallway. Come on, will you? Let's get this kid stuff over with. They watch as the eighth juror reaches the last chair. He pretends to open an imaginary chain lock and then opens the imaginary door.
9: Stop. Right. What's the time? 15, 20, 30, 35, 40, 42 seconds exactly. 42 seconds.
14: I think this is what happened. The old man heard the fight between the boy and his father a few hours earlier then while lying in bed he heard a body hit the floor in the boy's apartment and he heard the woman scream from across the street got up tried to get to the door heard somebody racing down the stairs and
3: assumed it was the boy i think that's possible assumed
10: now listen to me you people i've seen all kinds of dishonesty in my day but this little display takes the cake You come in here with your sanctimonious talk about slum kids and injustice and make up some wild stories. And all of a sudden, you start getting through to some of these old ladies in here. Well, you're not getting through to me. I've had enough. What's the matter with you people? Every one of you knows this kid is guilty. He's got to burn. We're letting him slip through our fingers here.
14: Slip through our fingers? Are you his executioner? I'm one of them. Maybe you'd like to pull the switch.
10: For this kid? You bet I'd like to pull the switch.
14: I'm sorry for you.
10: Don't you start with me now.
14: Ever since we walked into this room, you've been behaving like a self-appointed public avenger.
10: I'm telling you now, shut up.
14: You want to see this boy die because you personally want it, not because of the fact- Shut up. You're a sadist.
1: Shut up, you son of a bitch. The third juror lunges wildly at the eighth juror. The eighth juror holds his ground. The fifth and sixth jurors grab the third juror from behind. He strains against the hands, his face face dark with rage. Let go of me, goddammit! I'll kill him! I'll kill him!
14: You don't really mean you'd
9: kill me, do you?
1: The third juror breaks from the fifth and sixth jurors, stops struggling, and stares bitterly at the eighth juror as the curtain falls. Act 2. The same immediately following. When the curtain rises, the jurors are in the same positions as they were at the end of the previous act. Looking at the third juror, there is silence. The third juror crosses to the window. The other jurors move about the room. There is an awkward silence. The guard unlocks the door and enters.
5: Is there anything wrong, gentlemen?
1: I heard some noise. No, there's nothing wrong. The foreman collects the apartment plan from the table.
7: Just a little argument. Everything's okay.
1: The foreman hands the plan to the guard. We're finished with this. The guard takes the plan, looks carefully around the room, then exits, locking the door behind him. There is a pause. The others look at the third juror. What are you staring at? The others, embarrassed, turn away. Some of them take their seats.
12: Well, I suppose someone has to start it off again.
9: Getting late. Why do they do? What do they do? Take us out to a restaurant for supper? How do I know? Uh, I wonder if they let us go home in case we can't finish tonight. Uh, I got a boy with the mumps. He's out to here. Uh, the wife says he looks like Krushka.
11: The room begins to darken perceptibly now pardon, pardon, this fighting, this is not why we are here to fight, we have a responsibility. This I have always thought is a a remarkable thing about democracy. Uh, We that we are, uh, what is the word, Uh, notified that we are notified by mail to come down to this place and decide on the guilt or innocence of a man we have never heard of before We have nothing to gain or to lose by our verdict. This is one of the reasons we are strong. We should not make it a personal thing.
12: Um, if no one else has an idea, I may have a cutie here. I mean, I haven't put much thought into it. Anyway, let me just throw it out stoop and see if the cat licks it up. See if the cat licks it up? Well, it wasn't much of an idea anyway. Look how dark it's getting. We're going to have a storm.
6: Boy, it's hot.
1: Fourth juror in tie and jacket is seemingly not bothered by the heat at all. The fifth juror turns to him.
6: Pardon me. Don't you sweat?
1: No,
3: I don't. <laughs> uh, Listen, I was wondering if maybe we shouldn't take another vote.
4: Great idea. Maybe we can follow this one up with dancing and refreshments.
3: Mr. Foreman? It's all right with
7: me. Anyone doesn't want to vote?
10: I think we should have an open ballot. Call out your votes, you know. Let's see who stands where.
7: That sounds fair. Anyone object? The last vote was eight to four in favor of guilty. All right, I'll call off your numbers. I vote guilty. Number two? Not guilty. Number three? Guilty. Number four? Guilty. Number five? Not guilty. Number six? Not guilty. Number seven? Guilty. Number eight? Not guilty. Number nine?
13: Not guilty.
7: Number ten? Guilty. Number eleven? Not guilty. Number 12. Guilty. Six
4: to six. We go into extra innings here. Six
8: to six. I'm telling you, some of you people in here are out of your minds.
13: Kid like that. I don't think the kind of boy he is has anything to do with it. The facts are supposed to determine the case. Don't give me any of that. I'm sick and tired of facts. You can twist them any way you like. You know what I mean? That's exactly the point this gentleman has been making. I mean, you keep shouting at the top of your lungs.
1: The 8th juror puts his hand on the ninth juror's shoulders. The ninth juror looks at him and sits.
13: I'd like to be a little younger. It's very hot in here.
11: Uh, Do you want some water?
13: No, thanks.
1: It has grown considerably darker in the room and it's oppressively still. There is a murmur of voices at the cooler where the 7th, 10th, and 2nd jurors are in various stages of getting a drink.
9: It's gonna rain.
4: No. How did you figure that out, blue eyes? Tell me. How come you switched?
9: Well, it, it just seemed to me that...
4: I mean, you haven't got a leg to stand on. You know that, don't you?
9: Well, I don't feel that way. There are a lot of details that never came out.
8: Details? You let yourself get bulldozed by a bunch of, what do you call them, I- intellectuals.
9: Now that's not so.
8: Come on! You're like everybody
9: else. You think too much, you get mixed up. You know what I mean? Now, uh, listen. I don't think you have any right to...
1: The tenth juror crosses away.
9: Loud mouth.
1: It is now darker than before. There is no movement in the room. Everyone waits for the storm. And suddenly, it comes. We hear only the sound of the rain pouring down into the silence. Heads turn toward the window. The rain pours down. The fourth juror goes into the washroom and exits to the lavatory. The eighth juror steps back from the windows. The rain splashes in, closes it. The foreman rises, goes to the light switch at the door, and switches on the lights. There is a flickering of harsh white light as the fluorescent lights come on. The rain continues throughout the remainder of the play. The foreman moves the eighth juror. Wow.
7: Look at that come down, will you? Think it'll cool things off?
13: Uh, I guess so.
7: Boy, look at it go. Reminds me of the storm we had in November something. What a storm, right in the middle of the game.
1: The third juror across the washroom goes in, switches on the light, and washes his hands.
7: We're behind 7-6, but we're just starting to move the ball off tackle, you know? Boom! Baby! Boy, <laughs> I'll never forget that. We had this kid, Slattery, a real ox. Wish I had another one like him. I probably forgot to tell you, I'm assistant head football coach at Andrew J. McCork High School. That's in Queens,
1: the eighth juror smiles briefly.
7: Anyway, we're moving real nice. A line is coming apart. I'm telling you, this slattery boy. And all of a sudden, it starts to come down cats and dogs. In two minutes, it was mud practically up to your ass. I swear, I almost bawled. We couldn't go nowhere.
2: Hey, let's
4: try to get this fan going in here. What do you say?
1: The fourth juror enters the washroom from the lavatory. The foreman goes to the bench, stands on it, and starts the fan.
4: It must have been connected to the light switch.
1: The third and fourth jurors are in the washroom together. Third juror. Some rain, huh? The fourth juror nods. Well, what do you think of this thing? It's even Steven. The fourth juror nods. Kind of surprising, isn't it? Yes. Listen,
10: that business before, you know, where the guy was baiting me, I mean, that doesn't prove anything. Listen, I'm a very excitable person, you know. So where does he get off to call me a public avenger and a sadist and everything? Anybody in his right mind would blow his stack, wouldn't he? He was just trying to bait me.
2: Hmm. He did an excellent job.
10: Excuse me. Okay, maybe he did. I told you I can't help that kind of thing. I'm a certain type of person; I get moved by this. But let me tell you, I'm sincere.
2: Fine, we all are.
1: The tenth juror bursts into the ba- the washroom, strides the basin, and washes his hands. Oh, this isn't the goddamnest thing you ever saw.
8: Six to six—it's a joke. Oh.
10: What are we going to do about it? Can we break it somehow?
8: Six bastards in there I'm going to change their minds.
2: Five of them already have changed their minds. There's no reason why they can't be persuaded to do it again. How? Just by using logic.
10: <laughs> logic? Holy cow. Now, you listen to this man. He's the only one in the room who knows. You, you want my opinion?
8: Go ahead. I think we should just quit. What the hell are you talking about? Those people in there are suddenly like some kind of mission or something. Look, they're not gonna switch. So let's just go tell the judge. We'll be here all night. For Christ's sake, let's let's tell him we're hung. To hell with this. I mean, what am I gonna do? Break my
10: brains over scum like that? Well, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever... You took an oath in the courtroom. You can't just quit. Why not? It's dishonest. Why don't you vote not guilty? I voted guilty because I think he's guilty. But now you don't care what happens? No. (laughs) Why should I?
2: All right, let's stop this. We're not getting get anywhere acting like this. Oh,
8: what does he want? I gave my honest opinion. I know.
1: I suppose you don't think much of it?
2: No, I don't.
1: The foreman opens the washroom door. Uh, We'd like to get going in here again, if you don't mind. The fourth juror leaves the washroom.
7: How about him? (laughs) Isn't that something?
10: A hung jury doesn't mean anything. They just have to start the trial with another jury. That's
1: not what we're here for. What the hell's the difference? A hung jury is what you're going to get. Look, would you please... Tenth juror strides out of the washroom. The third juror switches out the light and comes slowly into the room.
8: Listen, I'll tell you what I think. We're going nowhere here. I'm ready to walk into court right now and declare a hung jury.
4: I go for that too. Let's take it to the judge and let the kid take his chances with 12 other guys.
14: I don't think the court will accept a hung jury. We haven't been in here very long. Well, let's find out.
11: I am not in favor of this.
4: Listen, this kid wouldn't stand a chance with another jury, and you know it. Come on, we're hung. Nobody's going to change his opinion. Let's take it inside.
11: You still don't think
6: there's any room for reasonable doubt?
4: No, I don't.
11: Uh, Pardon, Maybe, maybe you don't fully understand the term reasonable doubt.
4: What do you mean I don't understand it? Who the hell are you to talk to me like that? How do you like this guy? I'm telling you, they're all alike. He comes over to this country running for his life, and before he can even take a big breath, he's telling us how to run the show. The arrogance of the guy.
6: You mean you're calling him arrogant because he wasn't born here? Well, I'm calling you arrogant because you were. How's that?
11: Please, please. It doesn't matter. Um...
4: Sonia, nobody around here is going to tell me what words I understand and what words I don't. Especially him. Because I'll knock his goddamn European head off.
7: All right. Let's stop arguing for two minutes in here. Can't we stick to the subject?
14: I'd like to go over something, if you gentlemen don't mind. An important point for the prosecution was the fact that the boy, after he claimed he was at the movies during the hours the killing took place, he couldn't name the pictures he saw or the stars who appeared in them. This gentleman has repeated that point in here several times.
2: That's correct. It was the only alibi the boy offered, and he himself couldn't back it up
14: with any details at all. Putting yourself in the boy's place, if you can, do you think you'd be able to remember details after an upsetting experience such as being struck in the face by your father?
2: I think so. If there were any special details to remember, he couldn't remember the movies at the theater he named because he wasn't there that night.
14: According to the police testimony in court, he was questioned by the police in the kitchen of his apartment while the body of his father was lying on the floor in the bedroom. Do you think you could remember details under such circumstances? I do. Under great emotional stress.
2: Under great emotional stress.
14: He remembered the movies in court. He named them correctly and he named the stars who played in them. Yes, his lawyer
2: took great pains to bring that out. He had three months from the night of the murder to the day of the trial in which to memorize them. I'll take the testimony of the policeman who interrogated him right after the murder, when he couldn't remember a thing about the movies, great emotional stress or not.
14: I'd like to ask you a personal question. Hi, go ahead. Where were you last night? I was home. What about the night before last? Come on, what is this?
2: It's perfectly all right. I went from
14: court to my
2: office and stayed there till 8.30. Then I went straight home to bed. And the night before that? That was uh, Tuesday. Uh, I was, oh yeah, I, that was the night of the bridge tournament. I played
14: bridge. And Monday night. <laughs> I uh, well,
2: well, seven, you get the New Year's New Year, Eve, 10? 1950, you'll let me know. Monday. <laughs> uh, Monday night, Monday night. My wife and I went to the movies. What did you see? The Scarlet Circle. It was a very clever whodunit. What was the second feature? The... uh, (laughs) I'll tell you in a minute. The, uh, The... remarkable mrs uh mrs uh something mrs mrs uh mainbridge bainbridge the remarkable mrs bainbridge
9: uh, excuse me i saw that it's called the amazing mrs bainbridge uh
14: the, yeah the uh, who was in the amazing mrs brainbridge
2: uh barbara barbara long i think She's a, she's a dark, very pretty girl. Barbara Lang, 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 something like that. Yeah. Who else?
1: <laughs> the fourth juror takes a handkerchief and mops his suddenly sweating forehead.
2: Uh, well, I, 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 I never heard of them before. It was a very inexpensive second feature with unknown... When you weren't an,
14: under emotional strain,
2: were you? No,
8: I wasn't.
13: I think the point is made.
8: Big point.
13: I think it is a big point.
8: What? Just because he can't remember the name of some two-bit movie star? I suppose that proves the kid was at the movies.
13: No, but it indicates that no one can prove he wasn't. He might have been at the movies and forgotten what he saw. It's possible. If it's perfectly normal for this gentleman to forget a few details, then it's also perfectly normal for the boy. Being accused of murder isn't necessarily supposed to give him an infallible memory
8: you can talk until your tongue is dragging on the floor the boy is guilty period you know what i mean my friend (laughs) uh who's got those cough drops
7: they're
9: all gone my friend
7: you know there's something we're forgetting here that i was just thinking about the whole business with the psychiatrist that dragged on forever
8: now don't start with all that phony psycho whatever you call it stuff What a racket that is. Filling people's heads with all that junk. Listen, I got three psychiatrists keeping their cars in one of my garages. The whole three of them
7: are crazy. Listen, there's a point I'm trying to make here. Do you mind? I wouldn't give you a nickel for a psychiatrist's testimony. Why don't you let the man
14: talk? You can take five minutes on the uselessness of psychiatry when he's finished.
7: What I was going to say was the psychiatrist definitely stated that the boy had strong homicidal tendencies. I mean that he was, what do you call it? Capable of committing murder. He described all those tests, ink blots and all that stuff. And he said, the kid is definitely a killer type.
12: Am I right? Jack, I think he said something about paranoid tendencies. If I'm not mistaken.
7: Right. Whatever that is, he said it. Let's not forget, we're talking about a boy who always had murder on his mind.
12: His unconscious mind.
11: Nobody else's. I I, I beg pardon. In discussing how... I beg pardon.
8: What are you so goddamn polite about?
11: For the same reason you're not. It's the way I was brought up. In discussing such a thing as the murder potential, we should remember that many of us are capable of committing murder, but few of us do. We impose controls upon ourselves to prevent it. Uh, The most these psychiatric tests can accomplish along these lines is this. Uh, They can tell us that someday a particular person may commit a murder. That's all. They prove nothing.
2: Then how come they were admitted in evidence?
11: They they have many uses, of course. In this case, they added to the general uh, impression the prosecution was trying to create. Uh, Perhaps we would find that if uh, we, 12 men, took the same test, one or two of us might be discovered to have uh, unconscious desires to kill and uh, the potentiality of carrying them out. Yet none of us has. To say that a man is capable of murder Does not mean that he has committed murder.
8: But it can mean it. Listen, if they said the kid is capable of killing, he could have killed,
14: couldn't he? You're the one who said, and I quote, I wouldn't give you a nickel for a psychiatrist's testimony. Boy, I am telling you.
3: (laughs) What time is it?
4: It's five of six. Man, look at that rain.
9: There
12: goes your ball game?
9: Uh, say, could I see that knife for a second?
1: The eighth juror slides the knife across the table to the second juror, who opens it and examines it. Well, we're still tied up six to six.
12: Who's got a suggestion? I have. Let's get dinner.
6: Why don't we wait till seven? Give it another hour. Okay with me.
9: Um, There's something I'd like to say. I mean... I mean... It's been bothering me a little, and as long as we're stuck, well, there's this whole business about the stab wound and how it was made, the downward angle of it, you know?
10: Well, don't tell me we're going to start with that. They went over and over it.
9: I know. I know they did, but I i don't go along with it. The boy is five feet, seven inches tall. His father was six two. There's a difference of seven inches. It's a very awkward thing to stab down into the chest of someone who's more than a half a foot taller than you are.
1: Give me that. The second juror hands the knife to the third juror.
10: Look, you're not going to be satisfied till you see it again. I'm going to give you a demonstration. Somebody get up.
1: There's a pause. No one moves for a moment. And then the eighth juror rises and crosses to the third juror. They stand looking at each other
10: okay now watch this so i don't want to have to do it again
1: he turns to the eighth juror looks squarely at him and squats to make himself shorter
10: i'm six or seven inches shorter than you right
9: that's right maybe a, a little more
10: okay let it be more
1: the third juror flicks open the knife changes its position in his hand and holds it aloft ready to stab downwards the eighth juror and the third juror look steadily at each other. Then the third juror suddenly stabs downward hard. Look out The blade stops about an inch from the eighth juror's chest. The eighth juror does not move. He
3: smiles. That's
7: not funny. What's the matter with you?
10: Ah, oh, just calm down. Nobody's hurt.
13: Nobody's hurt.
10: All right. There's your angle. Take a look at it. Down and in. That's how I'd stab a taller man than the chest, and that's how it was done. Now go ahead and tell me I'm wrong.
1: The third juror hands the knife to the eighth juror and crosses away. The twelfth juror crosses to the eighth juror, and using his closed hand simulates stabbing the eighth juror in the chest.
12: Down and in. I guess there's no argument. Wait a minute. Give me that.
1: Eighth juror hands the knife to the fifth juror, closes the knife, and holds it gingerly.
6: I hate these things. I grew up with them.
1: Seen them
14: used in fights?
6: Too many of them. In my stoop, in my backyard, (laughs) and a lot across the street. Switch knives came with the neighborhood where I lived. Funny, I wasn't thinking of it. I guess you try to forget those things. You don't use this kind of knife that way. Yeah, You have to hold it like this to release the blade. In order to stab downward, you'd have to change your grip.
14: How do you use it?
6: Underhanded.
1: The fifth juror flicks the knife open and, holding it an underhand, swings round and slashes swiftly forward and upward.
6: Like that. You know, anyone who's ever used a switch knife never handled it any other way.
1: You sure? I'm sure. The fifth jerk closes the blade and flicks it open again.
6: That's why they're made like this.
14: Everyone agreed that the boy is pretty handy with a knife, didn't they? That's right. Do you think he would have made that kind of wound that killed his father?
6: Not with the experience he'd had with these things. No, no, I don't think you he would. He'd go for him underhanded.
10: How do you know? What, were you in the room when
1: the father was killed?
6: No, and neither was anyone else.
1: Juror sticks the knife in the table and crosses the way. You're giving us a lot of
10: mumbo-jumbo here. I, I don't believe it.
2: I don't think you can determine what type of wound the boy might or might not have made simply because he knows how to handle
1: a knife. That's right. That's absolutely right.
14: What
1: do you think? 12th juror hesitates for a moment. He is confused, but trying to be honest.
12: Well, I don't know.
1: What do you mean
10: you
12: don't know? I don't
1: know. What about you? Seventh juror looks around the table momentarily.
2: Just a minute. According to the woman across the street. Listen, I'll tell you something.
4: I'm a little sick of this whole thing already. All this yakkin's getting us nowhere, so I'm going to break it up here. I'm changing my vote to not guilty. You're what? You heard me. I've had enough.
10: What do you mean? You've had enough?
11: That's no answer.
2: Hey, listen to you. Just worry about yourself.
11: No, no, he's right. This is not an answer. What kind of man are you? You've sat here and voted guilty with everyone else because there are some baseball tickets burning a hole in your pocket. Now you have changed your vote because you say you're sick of all the talking here? Listen, but no, you have no right to play like this with a man's life. This is a terrible and an ugly thing to do. Don't you care?
4: Now wait a minute, you can't talk like that to me.
11: I can talk like that to you. If you want to vote not guilty, then do it because you're convinced the man is not guilty, not because you've had enough. And if you think he's guilty. Then vote that way, or don't you have the guts to do what you think is right?
4: Now, listen.
11: Guilty or not guilty?
4: I told you not guilty. Why? God damn you, I don't have to.
11: You do have to. Say it, why?
1: don't think he's guilty. The 11th juror looks disgustedly at the 7th juror, then moves to his chair. The 7th juror stands defeated.
14: Mr. Foreman, I want another vote.
1: Okay. There's another vote called for. Jurors cross their chairs and sit.
7: I guess the quickest way is a show of hands. Anyone object? All those voting not guilty, raise your hands.
1: The second, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and eleventh jurors raise their hands immediately.
7: One, two, three, four, five, six, seven,
1: The twelfth juror's face is a mask of indecision, then he suddenly raises his hand. Eight. The foreman stops counting and looks around the table, slowly, almost embarrassed, he raises his own hand.
7: Nine. All those voting guilty?
1: The third, fourth, and tenth jurors raise their hands.
7: Nines to three in favor of not guilty.
1: I don't understand you
8: people. I mean, all these picky little points you keep bringing up, they, they don't mean anything. How can you believe his story? Look, you're an intelligent man. Well, you, you're not going to tell me you're not. You know the facts of life. Well, for Christ's sakes, look at what we're dealing with here. You know what they're like? I mean, that guy over there. Well, I don't know what the hell's going on with him. All oh, that talk about psychiatrists? Maybe he ought to go to one. Look, let's talk facts. These people are born to lie. <laughs> now, it's, it's the way they are. And, and no intelligent man is going to tell me otherwise. They don't know what the truth is. Take a look at them. They are different They they think different. They act different. For instance, they don't need any big excuse to kill someone. Fifth juror crosses to the washroom door. That's true. Everybody knows it. They get drunk on wine or something cheap like that.
1: Oh, they're very big drinkers. The fifth juror goes into the washroom, slams the door behind them. Smart guy. Look at him, for Christ's sakes. What does that
8: mean, slamming the door? Look, and then the, the drunk, and all of a sudden, bang! Somebody's lying dead in the gutter. <laughs> okay, nobody's blaming them for it. That's that's how they are, by nature. You know what I mean? Violent human life don't mean as much to them as it does to us.
1: The eleventh juror rises and crosses to the washroom door. He follows the fifth juror.
8: Right, where, where are
1: you going? The eleventh juror does not reply and goes into the washroom. While you're in there, clean out your ears. Maybe you'll hear something. The fourth juror rises and moves to the window.
8: Look, you listen to me now. These people are boozing it up and fighting all the time. And if somebody gets killed, so somebody gets killed, they don't care. Family don't mean nothing to them. They breed like animals. Fathers, mothers, that doesn't mean anything. Sure, there are some good things about them. Look, look, I'm I'm the first to say that. I've known some who are okay, but, but
13: that's the exception. Do you know you're a sick man? Sick? Why don't you sit down? You old
1: son of a bitch, who the hell are you? The sixth juror moves toward the ninth juror. The twelfth juror steps between the ninth and tenth jurors.
8: No, no. Who, who the hell is he to me to, to tell me that? Sick. Look at him. He, he can hardly stand up. Listen, I'm speaking my piece here,
1: and you're going to listen. The ninth juror moves to the window. Maybe if you just quiet it down. I will like hell quiet down. There,
8: there is not a one of them. Not one who's any good. Now now do you hear that? Not one. Now, now let me let me lay this out for you. Ignorant bastards. You you at the window, you you're so goddamn smart. We're facing a danger here. Don't you know it? These people are multiplying. That kid on trial, his type, they're Multiplying five times as fast as we are. That's the statistic. Five times. And they are wild animals. They're against us. They they hate us. They want to destroy us. That, that's right. Oh, don't look at me like that. There's a, a danger. For God's sakes, we're living in a in a dangerous time. And if we don't watch it, if we don't Smack them down whenever we can. They are going to own us. They're going to breed us out of existence.
3: Ah, uh, shut up.
8: No, you goddamn geniuses. Had better listen to me. They're violent. They're vicious. They're ignorant. And they will cut us up. That, that's their intent. To cut us up. I'm warning you. This boy. This boy on trial here. We've got him that's one at least i say get him before his kind gets us i i don't give a goddamn about the law why should i they don't now i'm telling you
9: i've heard enough Now you just stop all this how
8: would you like me to cave your head in for you you smart little bastard where the hell do you get the gall? The We've juror- heard enough. <laughs> Sit down
2: and don't open your filthy mouth again.
1: The fourth and 10th jurors stare at each other. Finally, the 10th juror turns away crosses to a chair and sits with his back to the others. The other jurors, including the fifth and 11th jurors, slowly crossed their seats. very hard to keep
14: personal prejudice out of a thing like this no matter where you are you run into it prejudice obscures the truth well i don't think any real damage has been done here because i don't really know what the truth is no one ever will i suppose Nine of us now seem to feel that the defendant is innocent but we're just gambling on probabilities we may be wrong We may be trying to return a guilty man to the community, no one really knows. But we have a reasonable doubt. And this is a safeguard that has enormous value in our system. No jury can declare a man guilty unless it's sure. We nine can't understand how you three are still so sure. Maybe you can tell us.
2: I'll try. You've, uh, you've made some excellent points. The last one in which you argued that the boy wouldn't have made the kind of overhand stab uh, wound that killed his father was very persuasive. But I still believe the boy is guilty of murder. I have two reasons. One, the evidence given by the woman across the street who actually saw the murder committed.
1: And
10: how, brother? As far as I'm concerned, that's the most important testimony in the whole case.
2: And two, the fact that this woman described the stabbing by saying she saw the boy raise his arm over his head and plunge the knife down into his father's chest. She saw him do it the wrong way.
10: That's right. That's absolutely right.
2: Uh oh, is it back to me? Oh, yeah, now, let's talk about this woman for a minute. She said that she went to bed at about eleven o'clock that night. Her bed was next to the window, and she could look out while lying down to see directly into the boy's window across the tracks. She tossed and turned for over an hour, unable to fall asleep. Finally, she turned toward the window and at about ten minutes after twelve, and as she looked out, she saw the killing through the windows of a passing out train. She says that the lights went out immediately after the killing, but that she got a good look at the boy in the act of stabbing his father. As far as I can see, this is unshakable testimony.
10: That's what I mean. That's the whole case.
1: What do you think? The eighth juror remains silent. How about you?
12: Well, I don't know. There's so much evidence to sit. This is pretty complicated business.
2: Frankly, I don't see how we can
12: vote for acquittal. Well, it's not so easy to arrange the evidence in order. You can throw
10: out all the other evidence. The woman saw him do it. What else do you want?
7: Well, maybe. Let's vote on it. Okay. There's another vote called for. Anybody object?
12: I'm changing my vote. I think he's guilty.
10: Anybody else? The vote is eight to four.
11: What makes you consider this one vote a personal triumph?
10: I'm the competitive type. Okay, now here's what I think. I think we're a hung jury. Let's take it inside to the judge.
2: You didn't want a hung jury before.
10: Well, I want it now.
2: I don't understand that. You thought it was immoral.
10: I don't anymore. There are people in here who are so goddamn stubborn that you can't even... We'll never get this done. We'll be here for a week. Well, I want to hear an argument. I I say we're a hung jury. Come on. You're the leader of the cause. (laughs) What about it?
2: Let's go over it again.
10: We went over it again. J. Walter Thompson over here is bouncing backwards and forwards like a tennis ball.
12: Wait a second. You have no right to.
10: <laughs> Fourth juror removes his spectacles and polishes them. I-, I apologize. On my knees. Come on. Let's get out from under this thing.
2: All right. Maybe we can talk about setting some kind of a time limit. I'm still. The time is. Uh...
1: Quarter to six. Quarter after six.
2: Quarter after six.
1: He removes his spectacles and lays them on the table. He looks tired. He closes his eyes and clasps his fingers over the marks left by his spectacles at the sides of his nose. He rubs these areas as he speaks.
2: Someone before mentioned seven o'clock, I think, at the point at which we might begin to discuss the question of whether we're a hung jury
1: or not. The ninth juror looks closely at the fourth juror and obviously has thought of something tremendously exciting. Don't
2: you feel well? I feel perfectly well, thank you. I was saying that seven o'clock would be a
13: reasonable
2: time. The reason I asked
13: about that was because you were rubbing your nose like... I'm sorry for interrupting, but you made a gesture that reminded me. I'm just trying to settle something here. Do you mind? No, I think this is important.
2: Very well.
13: Thank you. I'm sure you'll pardon me for this, but I was wondering why you were rubbing your nose like that.
10: Oh, come on now, will you please?
13: Right now, I happen to be talking to this gentleman here. Now, why were you rubbing your nose?
2: Well, if it's any of your business, I was rubbing it because it bothers me a little.
13: I'm sorry. Is it is it because of your eyeglasses? It is.
2: Now, could we get on to something else?
13: Your eyeglasses make those deep impressions on the sides of your nose. I hadn't noticed that before. They must be annoying.
2: They are very
13: annoying. Ah, oh, I wouldn't know about that. I've never worn eyeglasses before. These oh. are just for blue light. Oh. 2020. <laughs>
2: Listen, will you come on already with the optometrist
13: bit? The woman who testified that she saw the killing had these same deep marks on the side of her nose. That's right, she did.
1: There is a silence in the room, and then a babble of ad-lib conversation.
13: Please, please just a minute, and then I'll be finished. I I don't know if anyone else noticed that, that about her. I didn't think about it then, but I've been going over her face in my mind. She had those marks. She kept rubbing them in court.
6: He's right. She did do that a lot.
13: This woman was about 45 years old. She was making a tremendous effort to look 35 for her first public appearance. Heavy makeup, dyed hair, brand new clothes that should have been worn by a younger woman. No eyeglasses. See if you can get a mental picture of her.
10: What do you mean, no glasses? You don't know if she wore glasses just because she was rubbing her nose?
6: She has those marks. I saw them.
7: So what do you think that means? (laughs) Listen, I saw him too. He's right. I was the closest one to her. She had these deep things. What do you call them?
1: Uh, You know, the foreman massages the spot on his nose where they should be. Well, what point are you making here? She had those marks. She had dyed
10: hair and marks on her nose. I'm asking you, what does that mean?
13: Could those marks have been made by anything other than eyeglasses?
10: No, they couldn't. Listen, what are you saying here? I didn't see any marks.
2: I did. (laughs) Strange, but I, I didn't
10: think about it before. Well, what about the lawyer? Why didn't he say anything? There
14: are 12 people in here concentrating on this. 11 of us didn't think of it either.
10: Okay, Clarence Darrow. Then what about the district attorney? You think he'd try to pull a trick like that? Have her testify without glasses?
14: Did you ever see a woman who had to wear glasses and didn't want to because she thinks she, they spoil her looks?
3: <laughs> My wife, listen, I'm telling you. As soon as we walk out of the house... The district attorney didn't know either. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. Okay.
10: Okay. She had marks on her, noise, on, her, on her nose, I'm giving you that. From glasses, right? She never wore them out of the house, so people think she was gorgeous. But then this, she saw this kid kill his father when she was in the house, alone. That's all.
14: Do you wear your glasses even when you go to bed?
2: No, I don't. No one wears eyeglasses to bed.
14: It's logical to say that she wasn't wearing them while she was in bed, tossing and turning, trying to fall asleep. How do you know? I don't know. I'm guessing. I'm also guessing that she probably didn't put on her glasses when she turned and looked casually out the the window. And she herself said that the murder took place just as she looked out and the lights went off a split seconds later. She couldn't have had time to put glasses on then. Wait a second. And here's another guess. Maybe she honestly thought she saw the boy kill his father. I say she saw only a blur.
10: How do you know what she saw? How does he know all these things? You don't know what kind of glasses she wore. Maybe she was farsighted. Maybe they were sunglasses. What do you you know about it?
14: I only know that the woman's eyesight is in question now.
11: She had to identify a person sixty feet away in the dark without glasses.
9: You can't send someone off to die on evidence like that. Don't give me that. Don't you
14: think that the woman might have made a mistake?
10: No!
9: It's not possible! No,
10: it's not
12: possible!
14: (sighs) Is it possible?
12: Yes. I say not guilty.
14: Do you still think he's guilty?
8: Yes. I think he's guilty. (laughs) But I couldn't care less. You smart bastards... Do whatever you want to do. How do you vote? Not
14: guilty. Do whatever you want.
10: You're the worst son of... I think he's guilty.
14: Does anyone else think he's guilty?
2: No. I'm convinced.
10: What's the matter with you?
2: I now have a reasonable doubt.
13: It's 11 to 1.
10: What about all the other evidence? What about all that stuff, that, the knife, the whole
9: business? You said we could throw out all the other evidence.
10: Um. I don't care whether I'm alone or not. It's my right. It's your right. Well, what do you want? I say he's guilty. We want your arguments. I gave you my arguments.
14: We're not convinced. We want to hear them again. We have as much time as it takes.
10: Everything. Every single thing that came out of that courtroom, but I mean everything, says he's guilty. Do you think I'm an idiot or something? You lousy bunch of bleeding hearts. You're not going to intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. I can sit in this goddamn room for a year. Somebody say something. The others watch. Silently, why don't you take that stuff about the old man? The the, the old man who lived there and heard everything, or take the knife? What just because he found one like it? The old man saw him right there on the stairs. What's the difference? How many seconds it took? What's the difference? Every single thing the knife falling out through a hole in his pocket you can't prove that he didn't get to the door. Sure, you can hobble around the room all you want, but you can't prove it. I'm telling you, every single thing that went on has been twisted and turned in here. That business with the glasses? How do you know what she didn't have them on? The woman testified in court. Well, what do you want?
8: That's it.
1: The others are silent. That's the whole case. The others are silent.
10: That whole thing about hearing the boy yell, the phrase was, I'm going to kill you. That's what he said to his own father. I don't care what kind of a man he was. It was his father a goddamn rotten kid i know him what they're like what they do to you how they kill you every day my god don't you see how come i'm the only one who sees jeez i can feel the knife going in
14: it's not your boy it's somebody else
3: Let him live.
1: Pause. Right. Not guilty. The foreman moves to the door and knocks on it. The guard unlocks the door and enters. We have a verdict.
5: All right, gentlemen, take your seats in the jury box.
1: The guard exits. The foreman and the other jurors collect their jackets, etc., and all except the third and the eighth jurors follow him off. The third juror remains seated. Finally, only he and the eighth juror remain in the room. The eighth juror puts on his own jacket and brings the third juror's jacket to him. The third juror rises. The eighth juror helps him on with his jacket. The third juror exits. The eighth juror follows, but pauses at the door and looks back at the empty jury room. The knife still sticks into the table. The eighth juror exits. The rain has stopped. Curtain.